Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Was there really a wartime UFO incursion over Los Angeles in 1942? How can you tell a real UFO photo from a fake one? How can you tell what's really in a photo at all? Hello and welcome aboard to the 820th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Uh, and I'm Ben, and those photogenic questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and dad, Paul. And uh, Today we offer a visual twist on an important subject, ironically, because it's radio, but uh, bear with us. So we welcome your calls. The number is uh, 401-766-1240, and that's from anywhere. Or you can email paul at com or contact us. Uh, via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, before introducing our guest, uh, just a word to our viewers uh, who are not receiving the video of this broadcast. Our subject today is a little heavy on the visual, but you can see the photos we're talking about in order on the Talking Points page for this show at BehindTheParanormal.com. Uh, click the link at the top of the page for Talking Points pages, then click 2019 Shows, and voila, the photos will spread out majestically before you. So coming to us via Skype from the UK today is Jason Gleaves. Uh, Jason is a researcher and a world-famous author on UFOs. His most recent writings include UFO Photo and the UFO Ufology Umbrella, both from Flying Disc Press, uh, who, uh, whose publisher is a dear friend of ours, uh, Philip Mantle, who will be on the show in a few weeks himself. Ah, lovely. A native of the UK and a veteran of the Royal Air Force, Jason is considered an expert in recognizing military and civilian aircraft and armaments worldwide. He has carried out image and photo analysis for other experts worldwide as well. Uh, Jason is on social media platforms at UFOnly, U-F-O-N-L-Y. He'll tell us more about that later. Uh, so, Jason Gleaves, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hi, guys. Thanks for the invite. Oh, well, it's great to have you on with us. So, let's uh, start off with... Um, Something that seems like a rather simple question, but is deceptively simple. Uh, is there any way to really tell whether a UFO photograph is genuine? Not really. It's um, it, You've got to do your homework on any UFO photograph. I mean, I get approached by people worldwide um, wanting photographs analyzed of uh, UFOs, ETs, etc. Um, and... You've, really, you've got to roll your sleeves up, and you've got to look more into the the person that sends you the the image, um, where they live, uh, what locations have they got airfields around them, you know, and the weather conditions. There's, there's an awful lot of things you've got to sort of uh, eliminate before you get to the bottom of any any case, really. Yes, and we've given you no peace lately, sending a slew of photographs to you. What in do you think of this the show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any uh, principles for other anomalous photographs like ghosts, Bigfoot, any, anything anything else in the realm of the paranormal? I don't know if you get into that, but would some of the principles be the same as far as judging the validity of the photography? Mm. Yeah, it could be. Um, I think uh, the paranormal is very, very close with ufology in a lot of um, different categories, and so you could tie a lot of them up together, really. Um, you know, they're uh, certainly high strangeness, put it that way. Sure. Okay. All right, so let's review some of the examples we have lined up on our Talking Points page, and uh, Ben will uh, very kindly show this on the screen for those watching on video. So, uh, Jason, tell us about the Solway Spaceman 
photo, as it's called. And just before you do, uh, we'll describe this for anyone who can't see it. Uh, there's a photo of a little girl, and this is taken in the UK. Uh, I believe it was in, in Wales. Jason can correct us on that. And there looks to be a almost one would think a spaceman in those terms in a white suit with a helmet standing behind her and um it's often been interpreted as something very very strange and then uh in the analysis that goes on uh, in the pictures below that you can see that there's not quite what it is. so can you tell us about that jason please yeah it's uh, it's really it goes back uh, through ufology like like most of us who start off in this uh, field you know you start off reading magazines etc and books and anything to do with ufology and this has always been around so when i got into analyzing photographs in general i, I tended to go back over the old cases and just check out whether they were real or not real um, I don't really like to call them fake as such, or just uh, more misidentified. Um, but this was a, a photograph anyway, it was taken by um, a gentleman called Jim Templeton, um, and he took it of his daughter, Elizabeth, and it was on the, the Solway Firth, which is in um, Carlisle in, in Cumberland here in the UK. Um, and it was in 1964, so it's pre-digital. It was the old 35mm uh, camera, that type of thing. And he took a photograph of his daughter on the hill. His wife was in, was present with him at the time, too. And at the time, he said he didn't see anything that come out and unusual. It was only later when he had the uh, images developed that he saw um, what looks like a spaceman above Elizabeth's head. Um, I don't know if you can see the photograph itself. You can see an image. And again, it was a, it's just been put there in, in, in folklore, ufology, that this was a spaceman. Um, and it, people took that as gospel and, and, and ran with it. So I just basically, like I did with most photographs, I wanted answers to it and, and check it out. And when I dug deeper into this case... Um, long story short, um, I, I actually proved that it was his, his wife who was present on the day. There's another photograph that is not readily available to the one that people see of the, the spaceman above uh, Elizabeth's head, yeah. his daughter. And uh, in, in this other photograph, his wife is wearing a blue short sleeve dress. Um, and again, when I analysed the original photograph and did all my, my process of going through, um, added filters, you could see that it was actually um, a person with a very similar dress on a short sleeve dress that was worn by his wife on the same day. Okay, so you didn't. You're, you're very confident in this. You didn't enhance the photo. You you refined it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just applied the filters and and things. I, you know. It, when I use the Photoshop, I mean, it, it's it's not what people think Photoshop is, where you're actually changing photographs. You're, not, you're just adding filters and using the different types of filters that can bring out detail in a lot of photographs. Very good. Now, did you do photography in the military? No. Oh. No, not at all. Well, actually, no. I did, but I dare say you're, you're probably better at this sort of analysis <laughs> than I am. Uh, okay, so let, let's move on to the, the next one, which is... Um, a uh, shot from 1969, 
and it is uh, from the Apollo 12 uh, UFO, I should say the Apollo 12 uh, moon uh, uh, mission, which was the second mission to land on the moon, uh, 1969 as we say, and uh, we're looking at a photo uh, that looks like a bright, on the right, a bright, almost disc-like UFO. It looks like a UFO. Or if you just sort of glance at it, it looks vaguely like an American football. Somewhat, yep. yes. It feels, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. on the left uh, is, is the analysis, and perhaps, um, uh, and it turns out that it's, a th- uh, I believe, the third stage of the rocket that launched Apollo 12. So uh, go ahead and tell us about that, please, Jason. Yeah, again, this this is another old photograph, um, again, in UFOlogy, you know, archives. And, it, it, you know, for years, people have put this forward in talks and lectures and things like that. I think Bob Dean actually put it through in one of his... Um, <laughs> talks as a ufo um and me i don't take anything for granted so no you know i i, I wanted to know the actual nasa source number you know that which um the one that was actually put forward for this was uh as 1251 um and so easy enough you go to the archives you can check out a lot of these things yourself um, when I went to this image, it was just a blank, black screen, uh, nothing in it at all. And I thought, well, okay, so there's no UFO here. Um, so I just basically went left and right on the up and down on the, the different other um, uh, archives that were there. And eventually I found something very similar to what I thought was the UFO. And you can see it there basically on the analysed image I've actually done. You can see um, it's just a very, very small illuminated disc-shaped object in the centre of the, of the um, image that was taken by the crew of uh, Apollo 12. Um, and again, this, this number was different. Again, this is AS-1250-7341. Um, the, the actual um, uh, source uh, image and when I analysed them and, and went in and again used the filters, etc., you could see it was basically the third stage of the the rocket that was actually jettisoned, and it partly went with them to the moon, you know. Um, and you can see, so I did a basic overlay, which anyone can do. It's you know, it's not it's not rocket science. And, um, <laughs> see what you did it, there. <laughs> In them, you can see number one, two, and three of the images where I took the UFO image and I took the actual image of the uh, third stage rocket and just overlaid both, and it was a perfect match. Wow. All right, let's, uh, and those who are not watching will be relieved to hear, we're just going to take a letter from a listener here, and on a case from which we do not have any illustrations posted, but, um, and... uh, I suppose I could always draw a couple stick figures if you'd like. I, I suppose, yes. Thank you, Ben. Okay, uh, perhaps. The, and this is from uh, Peter in Bogota, Colombia. So Peter writes to us, uh, Jason, what is your take on the Amori Rivera uh, 1988 Puerto Rico case? Uh, there were photos of jet fighters intercepting a UFO. Uh, this was a pre-digital photography. Uh, what would the process uh, to determine if it was real or models be? Um, well, I've not had a chance to get into this case more. I, I do know of the case. Um, it's a large disc, followed by it's obviously a military uh, fighter jet. Um, and there are a couple of different images, and I will actually go into more depth when I, I get a chance to do this. But um, 
with anything really you always try and get the original source image so to go from because when certain images are actually posted online and they'll go through so say i send it to you and you send it to somebody else you go in second third generation and each time that image will degrade so it makes it more difficult and becomes pixelated so when you're trying to analyze it so it's pre-digital so we go back to the old 35 mil, you know, in that era, um, they're, they're actually a better image to do, to analyze, I should say. Um, go on, sorry. Uh, oh, no, I just, it, it's, um, I thought I might add to that, and, and uh, Jason and I talked about a little bit about this case uh, before the show, and that neither of us knew an awful lot about it. However, uh, just as a point of interest, I was in Puerto Rico uh, four years before this in the line of duty and I was among other things uh, doing some uh, photography uh, in the US Coast Guard which in this country is one of the forces and uh, there was uh, a great deal of UFO activity and getting pictures of it but, it, but that seems to be an ongoing uh, scenario there and there were rumors of a, a US Navy destroyer that would be uh, on station anchored off San Juan uh, to keep tabs on supposedly on UFO activity coming and going from the Mona Passage, which is the immediate uh, immediately um, uh, proximate uh, body of water uh, connecting with the Caribbean Sea, of course. And I, I saw that ship. Uh, now it could have been doing a thousand other things, and that, but the rumor is that it's watching for UFOs. I did, however, speak with a member of the Puerto Rican legis- legislature who had been a witness, he and his entire family, to a large a craft coming out of the Mona Passage, or right off where they were having a, a barbecue, and they all saw this. It uh, hovered for a bit and then zipped off into the sky, and uh, there supposedly were military jets that were scrambled to track this. So uh, whatever is in the photograph, there are precedents according to witnesses anyway, for that sort of activity, military jets uh, chasing UFOs. So, okay, so uh, thank you for that, and uh, thank you uh, for the um, the question, Peter. All right, so let's uh, move on to our next graphic situation here. And uh, this, I suppose, is not exactly what we're uh, talking about as far as the other cases are concerned, but, uh, Jason, your father had a, an MIB experience, Men in Black experience, at some point, and you sent a photograph about that. And uh, I, I presume this is a sort of an artist's conception of the event. Uh, yeah. So what, what happened with your father uh, with, with this? Well, that, I've had uh, cases. Obviously, I saw my first sighting with my sister, age seven, over in Liverpool in the UK here. Um, and through my military career, obviously, there's the RAF Cosford incident happened. But, you know, other members of my family have had uh, incidents that have happened. And when I actually got into UFOlogy in more detail um, uh, and brought forward my, my father's ex-military, so he's quite a private person, you know, um, and he just came out with it one day. He just said, oh, when I was a young boy, uh, when I was in Liverpool, um, uh, I had a, a, a very strange experience. Um, and the actual... Um, image that you can see that you're talking about is one that I've actually done myself in in conjunction with my father with all the details he gave me so that's my father standing in the hallway um, again with this tall dark being that or being I say man in black because that's the way he described it to me um, 
and he was playing in the hallway. This was during the 1950s, um, so there was no TV. My grandparents were in the living room, and he was running backwards and forwards into the hallway, just playing like he, he always did. And he said when he ran into the hallway, this tall, dark figure manifested itself through the front door, actually came through the, the locked front door and stood in front of him. Um, and again, he panicked a bit. And this being or this person, whatever you want to call it, um, actually beckoned him to follow him up the stairs, which of course he didn't. He did an about turn and ran back into the living room to my grandparents. <laughs> to, yes. It, and they said what had happened to them, um, and they just poo-pooed it, like, like a lot of people do with these type of stories. Um, but for him to actually come out with this at the time was quite, you know, um, set back really, you know, when I actually went into detail and this, I wanted to put it in my new book because I was doing about different kinds of close encounters and things like that. Sure. Um, yeah, well, uh, Men in Black being associated with uh, those who are experiencers of UFO contact in one form, even if it's just a sighting, a uh, very, very mysterious phenomenon that, uh, we, you know, go ahead, Ben. Well, I think it's interesting that sort of manifested through the door, typically most mm. Men in Black encounters, they'll come to the door, knock on the door, and then ask to come in. Mm. Or yeah. they'll, they'll show up in threes, and they'll just kind of grill people, and then they'll leave rather than kind of manifesting through the door. That's actually really interesting. That's a pretty unique sort of experience there. And yeah. the fact that he remembers it so well is even more impressive. Of course, the labels we put on these things depend, on, I, I guess, on us. But today, one might mm-hmm. say this could have been a shadow person, mm. uh, yeah. Heidi Hollis's yeah. term. Yeah, So, but uh, who, who knows? Yeah. Uh, very interesting, though. Okay, let's move on to another uh, another case here uh, graphically illustrated on our talking points page at behindtheparanormal.com for the 2019 shows and we're looking at uh, several graphics having to do with a case uh, of a civilian uh, Argentine pilot and can you tell us about that Jason? Yeah that this case is probably one of my favorite cases really um, I actually put this and analyzed a case in my first book the UFO photo um, and it was an Argentinian pilot, um, and I had the footage around about 2014. If anybody wants to see the actual footage, it's on my YouTube channel, so or linked on the the Facebook page. It's you know anyone can see it there. It, it's quite a unique piece of footage, um, and it's actually going to be aired on uh, Paranormal Court on camera. I think on the the first episode of the second series soon. Um, but I actually went in and analysed it. Anyway, this pilot was actually flying his, his aircraft, his light aircraft, and it was a turboprop. He was approximately 10,000 feet, and he'd actually had uh, sightings of UFOs in the past before, but never had a camera or anything with him at the time. So th- on this unique occasion, he took his mobile phone with him, and it was in the early days of mobile phones, so again, the footage is not brilliant on today's spec, but it's still quite good to, to watch, and he, he sort of knew that he was going to have another sighting at some point, anyway, he was flying, you can see the propeller going in front of him, the cloud base, about 10,000 feet, and from his uh, left-hand side, two UFOs buzz right in front of his aircraft is is you know his air, airplane um dangerously close 
and one is a long, elongated UFO followed by a shorter, smaller UFO, which you can see on the analysed uh, frame shots that I've got taken from the original source footage. Uh, they pass to his right-hand side, and they do a figure of eight before coming back again to buzz his aircraft in uh, a close formation, straight off again to his left. Um, again, if, if the footage is better than me actually talking about it, you can actually see, and I've analysed it in more detail. But, you know, with the the actual large UFO, the elongated or uh, cylindrical shaped craft that you can see is huge um, and again by a disc shaped um, it's it's difficult to give an exact um, identification of what the uh, the objects could be because we're looking at them from an end elevation sort of a side view straight on so you know they could have been a triangular shaped or something else with a side view but um they're certainly unique, and it's one of my favorite pieces of footage. Certainly, this is a common occurrence with pilots, uh, commercial pilots, uh, when they dare to report these things. Uh, we'll often talk about uh, sort of uh, close calls with objects that look very much like this one, either cigar-shaped or even uh, tube-shaped, this sort of thing. Um, how, Just off the top of our heads here, I mean, uh, it seems to be pretty common uh, to me, and I wonder how often that's actually photographed and we don't know about it. I think very common, well, more so now with, um, you've got to the Stars Academy, the Tic Tac <laughs> UFOs that have been uh, banded around and, you know, put forward, you know, and the military have been taking, I'm sure, images for a long, long time. Um, but, you know, it, it's coming to the, the forefront now, really, but, you know, this type of footage was when i when i was sent it you know in 2014 it was a you know pretty wow sort of video to see yes indeed um i have questions about that though i don't know I, I tend to be a rather untrusting person particularly when it comes to governments and disclosure which i think it's naive to expect uh full disclosure and and even if it's partial one word is how accurate it would be but that's me uh just in in our we have a few minutes before our break here uh, what do you think of that footage and whether it's really on the up and up, as we might say, uh, as far as uh, a, a real attempt at some sort of uh, honesty on the part of uh, well, the Pentagon in, in our case? Um, well, I, I say this a lot, I mean, being ex-military myself, um, for years and years we, we all know pretty much that they've always researched they've been of high importance to any military worldwide sure you know um it, it's when i first saw the footage anyway of the of the tic tac there was little alarm bells in my head i, I still sent to the stars academy are doing a really good job and they've brought forward uh, the ufology case topic really you know a lot faster than most of us have done over 30 years plus you know um when i first saw the footage the only thing that alarmed me at the time if you look at all the readouts on the the hood display on the um i think it was an f-18 hornet or whatever the aircraft um down the right hand side of the screen you can see the word slave now the word slave in military terms is another word for drone 
Um, so when I saw this footage, that was one little alarm bell that, uh, that rang in my head. And again, like yourself, you know, I, I know the government are not so forthcoming on the ufology. It just seems to be the, it, it seems to be like a drip feed effect more now with the, to stars academy and, and that type of thing. But, um, yeah, yeah, I think it's, um, it's, it's good videos and, and there are more to come as well. I'm sure. Uh, I'm wondering how much the Ferrero company, the makers of Tic Tac, paid them to <laughs> use the term Tic Tac. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, tongue yeah. in cheek there. All right, let's take our, our bottom of the hour break here and you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we'll be right back with our fascinating guest, Jason Gleaves. Stick with us. Hello, this is Manny Brando. And this is Virginia. Together, we bring you the Manny Brando Show every Sunday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Excuse me, can I say a few words? Forget, you already said too much. Oh, no, not again. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And our guest today is Jason Gleaves, all the way from the UK via Skype. And we're talking about uh, Jason's work analyzing UFO photos, among other things. So let's move on, Jason, uh, if we may, to the uh, rather interesting uh, Los Angeles air raid photo of 1942. And for those of you who are not... Uh, Visually uh, seeing us here, uh, there is a, um, a rather standard uh, photo uh, of uh, an aircraft, and in those days uh, there were a lot of uh, uh, anti-aircraft batteries on the ground, and there were searchlights that would that would uh, reach up into the sky and at night and try to uh, find uh, any sort of invading aircraft, bomber, or whatever. In this case, uh, supposed uh, UFO. And they would um, focus on this, and the anti-aircraft batteries would be able to get a, get a shot or two uh, off uh, against these craft. Now, in this one, it seems to be a very strange craft, but uh, I think Jason may have found something else about this photo. So tell us about this, please, Jason. Yeah, um, again, this is another really old photograph in in the in the realms of ufology. Again, it's in all the books, magazines, etc. So everyone should have probably seen this you know and it's again it's um uh difficult to say as in original but it's um a large uh cylindrical not cylindrical but more elong elliptical shaped craft and again you can see the standard uh searchlights that are on this object over los angeles during 1942 and in the original photograph um, you can see the artillery fire because this thing came over Los Angeles and it was only, I think it was three months into the U.S. actually being in the Second World War. So uh, they were thought, thought they were being attacked by the either the German Luftwaffe or by the Japanese Air Force. Um, so everybody joined in. This thing had been fired on continuous. Uh, it didn't flinch or fault or anything you know it didn't get damaged in any way it didn't appear to be damaged and again so it was another one of those sort of photographs i got into i wanted to really find out was this real what was the actual 
you know, object that was there. So again, I ran through the process, the analyzing filters, etc. And here you can see in the book, I, I put this forward in as another case in my first book, the uh, UFO photo. Um, and you can see never seen before when I run the, the analysis through, you can see the actual um, detail of the Think that we had at the time, uh, or known to have at the time, um, and it was pretty u unique. And again, it was quite surprising, really, after I, I, it came out originally, and I, it warranted to be in the book, obviously. Mm. And it's still down to this day as being uh, unidentified. Okay, I, I, I don't really know enough about it to say, but it's. Uh it does. It does look pretty spectacular to me. And there, there mm. were reports um, of uh, of this uh, from uh, many many quarters in that in that time in California. So well, it's interesting that up until like Roswell, the any sort of mysterious object that was seen in the sky, I feel like there wasn't much of a, a frame of reference really mm. for for anybody in in the Americas at least, or well in the United States, because um, there was a really interesting case. I think it was. Deborah, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was at the um, Danbury UFO conference, who was talking about the oh oh uh, Linda Zimmerman Linda Zimmerman yes Jeez, wow my brain uh, so Linda Zimmerman who's an amazing historian gathered so many fascinating cases mostly focuses specifically on the Hudson River Valley she I, I really enjoyed her talk too she made a really interesting point that in the in the it was I think it was like 19 it was like the late 1800s, early 1900s, when uh, somewhat, a bunch of people started witnessing this, quote, giant airship that yeah, moved very quickly yeah. that had a spotlight that sort of shifted all over the place. And, you know, everyone was just like, oh, well, you know, it's probably the Germans doing something weird because, you know, why not? And it was it was super it was super interesting that like you know it was just like oh well it's just an airship you know must be those Wright brothers doing doing something crazy like who knows. Yeah. And then there was sort of like around Roswell in that time period, 1947, a a frame of reference started sort of appearing for mysterious objects. People were like, "Yeah, it's flying saucers. That's yeah. what we got. Yeah, that's what we have going on here." And up until that point, it's so interesting to look back at old uh, newspaper clippings and articles and, and photographs, and they just say mysterious air objects seen in sky over LA, like. You know, they they had no frame yeah. of reference for it. Hmm. I just think that's a little, no. little comment on my end. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I totally agree because the, the science fiction films were around, but you went to the cinema to see. It's not like having a TV at home or a computer where we see all these things readily now. Um, and science fiction being so, you know, big and, and you know, it's a big impact, really. Oh, yeah. Um, and again... At the time, it was the Second World War, so people just put down what they saw to, you know, and they had trust in the government then as well, so they were probably, if, it, if they thought it was the government's piece of equipment or aircraft, then they would just say, oh, you know, they must be doing something right or up to good, than being up to no good. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, let's move on to the next one. And the next one is... Uh Quite interesting. Uh, obviously, I'm sure an, an artist's uh, conception or, or Jason's uh, re recreation of, of what happened to him. Uh, this is at um, uh, RAF Cosford, uh, Royal Air Force, uh, British Air Force uh, 
Cosford uh, base. Um, and this involved, uh, first of all, where is Cosford? I haven't heard of it, Jason. And uh, how were you involved in this? And you say Nick Pope was also involved. Nick Pope, the uh, former uh, former official of the, um, the British Ministry of Defense who was responsible for UFO reports. Uh, so c- tell us about that, please, Jason. Yeah, this is um, this is quite a big case that happened in the UK. I was oh, let, 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 let me just describe the picture for anybody who's not seeing it. Uh, we have a, a garden variety uh, crash gate you'd find at the end of a runway with a guard shack, and uh, coming very low over it is a, a large triangular craft with lights at uh, the three ends. So I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, that, again, the RAF Cosford is um, uh, one of the Royal Air Force uh, training camps in the uk it's in the midlands near uh, wolverhampton birmingham central uk okay so it's um and again that's where uh, different trades go there to actually uh, become armorers and different you know other trades as well there's a huge museum there and in the museum there is literally every type of early aircraft late aircraft um test aircraft you know and again i'll bring up that that in a minute because i think that's a reason one of the reasons that the the craft might have visited the the base um and i was uh, a permanent staff member uh, at raf cosford at the time so part of this um uh scenario um the the gate guard the photograph you described is the actual gate guard crash gate 2 which is the crash gate onto the airfield at RAF Cosford and this happened in March 1993 um, in the UK and there was a young airman who was on I was on the base that night my friend was an orderly corporal in the guard room with the guard commander and everybody else's early hours and there was a young airman on that actual guard post and you can imagine the airfield at that time of night was pitch black no no uh no landing lights or anything lit up so it's pitch black behind him he had his um his new searchlight you know towards the gate and things like that and in the early hours of the morning he radioed through to the guard commander screaming down the radio to get the guard commander out to the airfield because he was panicking because there was a huge triangular shaped craft over the airfield and this is just my illustration that I did for the book, again, that I covered, put it in the book. But it is an actual photograph of the, the crash gate and where it happened. Okay. Uh, and we ha- uh, we're going to talk about the book in a moment here, but we have a question, uh, again, from Peter in Bogota, Colombia, regarding this case. Sure. So Peter writes to us. Um, regarding the RAF Cosford uh, March 1993 UFO incident, was there any missing time reported by any involved? Uh, was any hypnotic regression done? And if so, what was the result? Not what I know of. I, I'm not in contact with um, uh, people from that time. So whether since they've had anything happen to them, I'm not sure. Um, with myself, um, I did actually approach Mary Rodwell uh, a year or so back at a conference here in the UK, um, and I'm hoping to have a regression done at some point because there's other things that have happened in my past, and, you know, I'd like to get through on my journey um, to the bottom of this. Um, But this case, 
um, this craft came down anyway over the base, over the, the where you can see over the airfield. Um, um, the guard commander and the RAF police personnel all got in the Land Rovers and Sherpas and all drove to the the guard post at the time. When they got there, they all saw this huge triangle-shaped craft. Again, it was silent, and it was described at the time to be the size of a battleship. It was huge, with lights on the corners. With uh, I think somebody did describe there was a hum, a low hum, that they could hear. Mm. Um, this object uh, then actually took off at high velocity, and it went to another RAF base, which was about 20 miles away, uh, RAF Shawbury which is a helicopter base. Um, the on-duty air traffic controller, which, again, through sources I've got, um, actually had people I've spoken to, and again through Nick Pope, um, again saw this craft or a craft of similar description come in over the airfield there, and it was firing laser-like pencil uh, lasers down towards the ground and the impression that the air traffic controller got at the time is that this thing was actually looking for something uh, that was the impression he got um, it was also seen or again a, a craft of similar description was seen throughout the UK in various locations by on duty policemen um, and other members of the public um, and, and you know this thing was huge it's nothing we had at the time that we know of um and again uh, in relation to nick pope he was in whitehall at the time he was still working there uh, for the mod and he came out uh, the day later to interview everybody uh, again who witnessed this uh, this large craft yes. and nick does a, he does actually talk about it in in his talks from time to time um and again Again, he said when he spoke to this young German the day after in, in an interview, he said his voice was trembling still because he was that scared of what he'd actually seen. Um, so it, it's a pretty unique case. I mean, people think in the UK they, they tend to lean towards Rendlesham Forest as mm. being, which it was a big UFO case, um, you know, but this was certainly a, a big, well documented, you know, case at the time as well. Okay. I remember about eight years ago, Nick uh, sat in for Ben one time as a co-host on this show, and he talked about this case. So um, oh, it yeah. uh, rings a bell, certainly. Okay, uh, before, before we move on, let's uh, l let uh, Jason talk about his uh, not only his amazing work, but his, his books, uh, where people can find out more, social media, etc. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, um, well, I've got two books out. Um, the first book, UFO Photo. Um, there's a copy of it there. There we go. Uh, that was um, basically I've done computer analysis of worldwide images through the decade. So I really wanted to bring a book out, mainly a, a follow-on from the um, the UF-only Facebook page that I've got and other things in relation to that. And I wanted to do a sort of DIY photograph image analysis book for people who are, who are getting into ufology and just basically telling them how i analyze photographs and showing them certain cases that can lead on to obviously the misidentifications and how people identify what they've seen and how they can go through the process themselves um, that was the first book the second book was really a follow-on from that 
which was um, it's called the UFOlogy Umbrella. And again, this book is uh, Close Encounters Are Not Enough. So really, I wanted to springboard from the first book onto this, which I go into the seven separate categories of close encounters. Um, break them down and put cases to them uh, and try to explain to people again, you know, the different cases and, and, you know, just so they can understand really, because most people, when they get into ufology, they go down this road of trying to find out, you know, what's going on. They'll look on more video, they'll watch more videos, more YouTube videos, they'll read more books. And I call it the richest, Richard Dreyfus syndrome um, <laughs> that everybody gets in ufology that they get this mad obsession that they want to find out more information about whether they've had an experience themselves or a sighting it seems to trigger something and they want to go down that road so the books really are a help for people that are starting out in ufology and they want to go down that road very good. Uh, and on the Talking Points page for the show, if you're looking at that, at the bottom uh, we have uh, images of the books uh, Jason has written here, and uh, we urge you to uh, check those out. Okay, let's uh, <clears throat> move on, if we can, Jason, to uh, some very interesting shots here of uh, ETs, uh, apparently, or uh, seemingly, and uh, a rather cat-like uh, alien here that, that you have uh, sort of uh, come up with another explanation for. Yeah, they, um, well, again, I get approached by people all over the world sending me the UFO photographs, but I also get people sending me UFO uh, extraterrestrial images, you know, of beings that have manifested themselves, etc. Um, and generally, they're orbs. I've done a lot of work for um, James Gilliland and Peter Maxwell Slattery at the Eseti Ranch mm. near Mount Adams. So I do a lot of analysing imagery for them. Uh, I advise anyone to go and take a look at their their stuff because, you know, it's really good. But again, this is um, just some of the images that I wanted, you know, you asked to see some of them. So, um, And this is really where orbs are actually starting to manifest themselves into actual humanoid-shaped beings. Um, and again, when I analyze these in more details, you can see actual facial features within the faces of the, the beings themselves. Um, and one of them actually looks quite feline, uh, lion type, which again, um, uh, the type of being that is renowned for that type of uh, look is from the, uh, or said to be from the Sirius uh, constellation. So, um, again, you know, you can go back to the ancient Egyptians. They worshipped the feline form. Uh, so, again, in relation to those, are they connected? Are they beings that had something to do with the ancient Egyptians and, you know, coming back again? Um, it's just different ones, you know, you can see. Oh, no, I was, I, I looked, at, when I looked at this, I thought you perhaps were suggesting that someone had, uh, Photoshop this, as it were, and, and put the feline face over a, a human. So I'm misinterpreting that. Then you, no, you believe no, this I, is, could be genuine. That one, yeah, genuine photograph for the for the, that case. Um, I actually just put the uh, face there of a, a lion being, you know, oh. a lion face for somebody to, you know, comparison. Okay, okay, I get. It. 
All right. And uh, now b- below this one, if uh, you're looking at the page or uh, at the video here, uh, we're looking, and for those who can't see it, uh, some very uh, odd, uh, I guess it uh, looks like a head, a uh, humanoid head, and then there's on the right a uh, apparently a, a, it says light ship, uh, some sort of craft. And uh, there's a woman who apparently has uh, said she took these inside a craft during an abduction, which would be a pretty neat trick, mm-hmm. since my understanding is most people are paralyzed or are not able to um, use have any muscle function at, at the time. So tell us about this, please, Jason. Yeah, this is one I analysed again. It was a, a lady called Marie Kayali in the UK here, and. Um, Again, I'd advise anyone to see any of her videos and things like that. Um, some of the photographs she's actually sent me of craft, um, you know, in comparison to uh, buildings around and things like that, you can actually, you know, for perspective, you can get really good image analysis done of them. But this one, she said she took on a, a mobile when she was taken on board uh, the craft, and she said later on she wasn't, uh, like you said, most people, when they go, they're actually uh, put in some sort of a trance or, you know, uh, they're actually frozen and they can't move or diff- different types of encounters. And she said later on in their account uh, encounters that she could actually move. They, they didn't restrain her or anything. And she took the photograph of these beings that, you know, I can interpret them as uh, being, being some type of being. And again, she said when she was uh, taken back home, uh, she leant out the window and that was the photograph of the light ships that was actually um, accelerating away. She managed to get a shot of it. What did she use to take these photos? A mobile phone. A mobile phone. Oh, okay. All right. She used the camera on a mobile phone, she said. Okay. Huh. Interesting that it didn't malfunction. Well, anyway. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, and that, that's uh, that's it for our our photos uh, uh, from this particular collection. And uh, just below that, Ben, if you want to show that, uh, we have uh, images of Jason's books, and uh, we ask you to check those out. Again, uh, published by Flying Disc Press, uh, good friends of ours. And if we now, th- did you, Jason, have a chance to uh, look at the um, the video that that we captured in Pennsylvania in May? Ben, I bet if you scroll down, you can come to the May 26th show. There. I didn't. I didn't. I did send you a message trying to get it. I didn't see the actual footage. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, that, that's our Well, we'll get that to you, and I think uh, yeah. certainly we'll be doing uh, more shows with you because there's a lot of interest in this subject <laughs> by people. Uh, there was one I sent you this morning. I know that is way too short as far as notice is concerned uh, from our California show reporter, uh, Rick, uh, who took one over, and that, that's right below that, Ben, uh, took one over Haywood, California in June. And uh, I'm sure you it's too much to expect that you've had a chance to take a look yeah. at that. But we will deal with it, that also in a future show, and people can look at that on, on the page. Yeah. Okay. So um, also, uh, if you could, um, okay, I'm wondering here uh, if you could, uh, talk a little bit more about your social media presence, uh, you know, wh- where people can find out, uh, uh, you know, wh- what you're working on uh, in the future. Yeah, um, well, I've got the, um, the the Facebook page, which I really it, it stemmed from 
my encounters and my experiences and and i went down the road of actually wanting to know more and and i sort of self-taught on the uh visual analyzing of photographs and it was really all part of my journey that it sort of came from sort of thing so um yeah so uf only was sort of um brought into the realms um and again i was posting analyzed images that i'd done and then people started to contact me and it just sort of grew from there um and then i needed to obviously i was analyzing footage for people but i couldn't put them on facebook so i had to uh set up a, a youtube channel so i could actually put them on there and i've actually started doing a couple of documentaries now so I'll actually get people who have had experiences. I've done one on Peter Maxwell Slattery. I've done one on Tony Topping. I've done one on the extraterrestrial route races that they've always walked amongst us. And they're all free. Everything's free on there. I don't charge anybody to actually see any of these things. You know, I want people to, to see, you know, the information, you know, if that's what they require. They don't have to believe anything that I put there. It's it's really you know they can watch it and make up their own mind and do their own research into it. Yeah, that's our approach too. Okay, just uh, we have a, about another minute here. Have you noticed any patterns? We always look for patterns, you know, whether it be um, certain kinds of photos that, that seem to be clustered in one time period or uh, areas uh, where photos come from, uh, geographically speaking. Or just um, patterns in the kinds of craft that, that are being seen, or if they are craft, uh, what, what say you? The, the, I, I think they, they go in decades for certain types of shaped craft, especially. I mean, we can go back to uh, the 50s, 60s, 70s. We're talking the disc-shaped craft, you know, the bell-shaped craft that people saw. And, you know, I'm not saying they didn't see other types at the time, but that was sort of the thing and then we go into the 80s 70s 80s um 90s especially with a lot of triangular shaped craft especially the raf cosford incident and you know the Bel belgium flap where the, the, the military in belgium actually follow the ufo a triangular shaped ufo and again we go on to the elongated thing but now i would say we're actually going into more orb shaped craft that we're seeing in in the skies around the chemtrails that type of thing and again people you know put those forward um you know it, it, i think it does go through the decades they change but i'm not saying that people haven't seen different types of craft throughout okay. the ages you know um and again with people having more readily having mobile phones now and especially modern mobile phones have got 4k cameras you know so you know, people have always said in the past that we're seeing less people. I, I personally think we're seeing more. Um, whether people are faking them or not, I don't like that word fake. You know, yeah. I'd rather say it's misidentified. Okay. Yeah, whether it's a weather phenomenon or it's a bird or an aircraft, especially, you know. And again, the, there are cases I put forward for people where they've, you know, there's a Brazilian airline pilot who was on vacation in the UK, and, and Philip Mantle actually presented two images for me to analyse for him, and I put them in the first book. And I, when I actually went in, long story short, analysed them, went in great detail, like I do for all my images, 
Um, I actually found they were two um, military fighter jets. But when you see the photograph, original photograph that were taken, they just look like disc-shaped objects. Okay. They really do. But when uh, you Jason, I'm afraid we're out of time, uh, but we'll be doing more yeah. shows. And thank you very much. And um, we will uh, be in touch off the air. Okay, folks, uh, I have to acknowledge the folks at the KRI Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratham, New Hampshire, which sadly closed as of yesterday. Uh, Ben's mom and I went up to, for the uh, farewell gathering on Friday evening, so many old friends, including many who have appeared on our live panel broadcast from there over the years. Uh, other venues for their programs and experience or support forums will be announced soon, and we'll keep you posted on that. So, um, Oh, righty. So you can check out our books at, uh, including Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You've Never Heard of. Uh, and uh, now, Dancing Past the Graveyard, uh, Poltergeist, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God. Uh, they're available from online retailers and in some stores, but for autographed copies, please visit the online bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com. And we've uh, completed uh, the year 2011 as far as from now back to 2011 uh, uploading shows uh, from our almost 12 years on the air now to the major podcast platforms. So check those out. Uh, we're doing 2010 now. We're going to get those uploaded as soon as possible. What do we have for next week, Ben? So next week, uh, December 8th, uh, that uh, we will uh, have an exceptionally weird subject. Uh, the one that created major debate in the early Christian churches. Uh, will Satan eventually be saved with our guest, uh, theologian Dr. David Bentley Hart? Uh, not a question you hear every day. So anyway, uh, we leave you this afternoon with a terrifyingly deep quote from American artist and author Saul Luckman. Contrary to popular misconception, karma has nothing to do with punishment and reward. It exists as part of our holographic universe's binary or dualistic operating system, only to teach us responsibility for our creation, and all things we experience are our creations. Still got a few seconds here, by the way. Okay, well, you know, I often wonder, um, in the holographic theory, uh, theory uh, which is a, a variation on, on our ideas, who or what is doing the projecting of the hologram? Yeah, that's actually a really interesting idea. Something to definitely mull over, especially when we, we sort of segue into next week's show. Yes, exactly. So, all right, this, this is uh, Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall catch you next time on Behind the Paranormal. <laughs>